Welcome to the Girl Powerful Podcast. We're two sisters on a mission to entertain and educate by learning from women who live a purpose-driven life. Be sure to subscribe and rate our podcast. Today on the Girl Powerful Podcast, we talk with Tabitha Lipkin, award winner, former Miss Scuba International, jetpack pilot, dive master, and funny girl. The convo highlights Tabitha's favorite guests, how she persevered through a rough childhood, and how eye contact can truly save someone's life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Girl Powerful Podcast. Today, we have Tabitha Lipkin with us. Tabitha, thank you so much for being with us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, I want to start off first by reading your Instagram bio. Because I love it, and I think it's so original and unique. So here we go. (laughs) Tabitha Lipkin, journalist, host of NBC LX, Emmy Award winner, former Miss Scuba International, jetpack pilot, dive master, funny girl, and longhorn. (laughs) Longhorns. Yeah, that's quite a bio, but I want to talk about how you say funny girl because I know you're a journalist and what you you know your storytelling and your writing is oftentimes serious but you also have some fun with like lifestyle but how do you how are you as a young girl like maybe a 12 year old girl and what was your inner dialogue like with yourself gosh um 12 being 12 years old in my mind was was wild that's kind of when we're at our our crucial crux of things in middle school, right? Like we, we get to pick, are we going to do band or athletics? Are we, what do we have an interest in art? You know, what is it for us? And, um, my background a little bit. So I was raised by my grandmother. So I didn't, you know, grow up in a normal household. Um, I don't mind sharing with you guys that my mother actually dealt with addiction. And so, um, you know, kind of watching her go through that at the age of 12, you start to really kind of understand what's going on. And, um, I had to really figure out who I was. And I remember being, uh, feeling kind of on the outside of things and not really feeling like I belonged. I went, um, to a little bit more of an affluent school because my grandmother, who is an incredible woman, uh, she was able to find a really cheap place to rent within this really good school district because she wanted me to go to a good school. My grandmother has sacrificed so much for me. We really probably couldn't have afforded to be there, but she was like, I want to make sure Tabitha gets an education. So I often kind of felt this weight and people knew who my mom was and um, they knew kind of that I was being raised by my grandmother. And that carries with you a bit when you're young. Um, But I remember two things when I was around that age that I think really helped me find my voice. And one was I tried out for band and I signed up and I was able to get the instrument that I wanted. I wanted to learn to play flute and everyone wanted to play flute because that was the cool girl instrument, right? Um, And, and I got it and I didn't really expect to, because I always saw myself kind of on the outside of what cool people were doing, quote unquote, cool, you know, in the mind of a, of a teenage girl. And then uh, around that time was when athletics started too. And we had to run a mile and I ran the mile and it was the first time in my life I, I beat everyone. I, I actually was completely ahead of the pack by about 200 meters. And I remember the coach being like, oh, 
like we've got an athlete here. And I had no idea because I'd never really tried to run or do anything of that nature. And that gave me a little bit more, more motivation to really figure out, wait, who am I? That's amazing. It's like Teddy and I always say that children, in order to build self-esteem, they need to have someone outside of the home really see and value your capabilities. So that coach being like, hey, you're an athlete. Do you think that really changed the course of how you viewed yourself too? Oh, absolutely. Um, Because for the first time, I felt like other kids were looking at me as like a, a leader of sorts because I had this ability and I think all kids have an ability, right? It's just figuring out what is that ability? And I had no idea it was running. And, and also I, I got tall early. So right around like 14, 15, I, I shot up to about five, eight, five, nine. And I stayed there. Um, whereas most, you know, not at all the girls did. Some of them stayed shorter. So I was like long and tall and lengthy. So I was playing volleyball. I was running and I was playing soccer as well. Yeah, sports, they definitely help you find your home when you're at school it's funny though when you mentioned playing the flute I was like well we played violin (laughs) and number two I did not run a quick mile and that could have made my self-esteem go in the toilet but (laughs) I just didn't even care I like I had my I found my value in other places I don't know it just from my heart or something being the funny girl being the funny girl I'm just making I would probably just make fun of it which is not cool (laughs) but then I did run the LA marathon so I I had to figure out how to like push myself out of my comfort zone in a physical way that's incredible I mean that's no easy feat I've never run a marathon yeah it was pretty fun actually but I think like especially like if you did that as a reporter and shared your journey people would be obsessed with it yeah I I want Boston is top of the list that's awesome. Well, are you going, Teddy? What am I going to go to Boston? They, <laughs> yeah. won't, they won't let me. There was barely a finish line left when I finished, you know, but I still did it. It took a, about a day. <laughs> Greenwood? No. no. We, so we went to Glendale. Yeah, we were in Glendale. Public school girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm interested because where did you grow up? So I grew up in Texarkana, Texas. Okay, so you grew up in Texas, but you have this deep connection to water because you're Miss Scuba, you can do jetpack. How did you develop that? It's it's crazy. I don't know. I think, um, you know, when you grow up a certain way, I also kind of, as I got into high school, I got bullied a little bit. And uh, I moved, I moved high schools in the middle of high school, which is the worst. If you're a parent listening to this, do not move your kid in the middle of high school because you're, it's going to change the social norms. And so I went from a small school in Texarkana, Texas, where I had kind of found myself and found my group of friends to the school outside of Houston, which was much, much bigger. It was a a four, five, a school and no one knew I was a new student and I had to kind of start over. So I knew early, I was like, I want to get out of Texas. And that's kind of a terrible thing to say, but um, first I I had to go to college. So I went to the University of Texas and the whole goal the whole time was I'm going to work as a broadcast journalist and I'm going to go to California. That's the goal and I'm going to do it. And I kind of did. So I I went through broadcast school and I got an internship at Conan on TBS and um, he had just moved from his NBC show to TBS and I I locked that down. So kind of that last semester, instead of uh, taking courses on campus, I did, you know, two courses online so I could take the internship. And uh, I did that and I was like, oh, 
uh, I really am interested in the journalism aspect of this. So I then went to New York for just a couple of months and worked for the Colbert Report and then was like, I love California. I love the water. So going back to, uh, to California and that's where I, I ended up getting to be. That's amazing. I think, did, how did you find that confidence and like that, that dreamer part of you and then be so action oriented when, when like your mom wasn't able to model that behavior for you? Did that come from inside you? Cause it girl powerful. We, that's what we like to talk about, like that inner power. So how did you harness that and really live out your dreams with action? That's so important. You know, it's interesting. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd say that I think that kind of came through the ability uh, to see my grandmother work really hard and to see all the sacrifices that she had made so that I could achieve success. And I didn't want to waste it um, because I think I felt she, although she did everything right, my grandmother is an incredible woman. Maybe she felt like she failed with my mom and she had this new opportunity. She had me and she didn't want to see that happen again. So I wasn't going to let it happen. Um, and I had goals and dreams. And the truth is, I never really knew if they would work out. But I knew that I, the worst answer I could get was no. And I think that's something a lot of people don't see is although there are these little tickers of accomplishment, I've gotten far more no's in my life than I've gotten yeses. And you just really have to accept the no except in the sense of it's been said and move on and just be like, okay, not for you, not this moment, but it's, you know, I'm going to still pursue what I really want. That's so true. I mean, everyone's always comparing with what other people are doing, whether it be their family life or their job or with their looks or their material things. And yeah, no one posts about the, all those hundred no's to get that one awesome yes. Like everyone's just like, Tabitha, she's successful. And yes, you are, but it's like, it does come with like a long journey of like, yeah, being let down and hurt and pain and all the other things that, you know, aren't on your highlight reel. Exactly. And I don't think, uh, you know, the other thing is I got my first job when I was 14 years old. Um, and, and that's something a lot of people don't see. You can do that in Texas with like your parents' permission. And so I learned like the value of working hard really early and was like, I won't be outworked, even if, you know, I might, you know, someone might be more talented or they might be more attractive or whatever it is, but I will not be outworked. I will work until I die, which is not necessarily always a good thing, but uh, I'd say that mentality can help you achieve your goals. Yeah, we can relate. We started working, we had a single mom and we would babysit. And we always bring this up because we babysit for $4 well, an Sonia, hour. Sonia brings it up. She's like really upset she was underpaid, which I'm, I understand. I'm bitter by my neighbor who would who would go like spend like, you know, four hours out and like pay us $4 an hour. <laughs> I'm like, that's $16. And they were two working people. And so Sonia, yeah, she talks about it all the time. She's like, Debbie Hightower was a cheapskate. <laughs> But I lied. I lied when I was 15 to the pizza parlor and said I was 16 to get a job. I totally get that. Because then you have freedom too. Yes, you're like trying to change. But yeah, you have that freedom and that cash flow. And then you can do whatever you want, right? Essentially. Like the first time you like paid for your own food, like first time you went through a drive-thru and it was like, oh, this is my money I earned and I'm going to get that. It's like a weird feeling. Yeah. I still yeah, I remember loving cheddar bites from Sonic. Oh, <laughs> those are money. 
Yeah, they're not really good anymore if you've ever, they're gross. Don't go back to school. Well, yeah, you know, haven't you grown up a little bit, Tabitha, <laughs> with your taste buds? No. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. We'll, go, we'll have, you'll have to go check them out. Nostalgia. So how do you get inspiration to write your stories or write your articles? That's a good question. Um, I don't do as much of that anymore. So now um, I, I do a little bit more of like on-camera hosting. And so I work with a, an incredible team of producers and writers and editors to put uh, full-length shows together. But um, I think it's curiosity. I, I think that's what drives any journalist, especially like I do interviews like this the opposite way all the time where I'm interviewing and talking to people. And I just really enjoy the human aspect of people, which seems like a weird thing to say. But um, in this pandemic, what's been really cool is I've gotten the opportunity to interview a lot of like well-known celebrities, politicians, A-listers that I would have never, ever, ever had the opportunity to do so because everyone was bored and everyone was at home. And this was an easy way to, you know, communicate. And I found true joy. And I previously didn't really care about, you know, someone's status. But what I found fun in these interviews is finding their normal element. Like, who are these people really? You know, this virus affects us all in the same ways. And that kind of leveled the playing field. And we're all kind of dealing with that reality. But like behind that, you know, what do you do uh, to keep yourself entertained? How do you deal with the sadness that you might feel or whoever? And when you bring out the human elements of these people who almost are like idolized, you realize we are all the same. We are all humans. We feel the same emotions. And I, I don't know. I just like being able to translate that to people at home who, who might need that in their own lives in order to keep going. So who was your favorite interview? like in the last year and like what did you learn from them so my kind of a career moment and favorite interview was we got to talk to dr fauci just after uh the administration transition so he really hadn't been doing interviews for months and there was a moment um where i asked him i was like can you take me back to the moment you heard that there was an effective vaccine and as he's answering it, he says two things that I was like, man, this is kind of cool to hear. And one was, uh, he was like, I'm so glad you asked me that because I don't think he'd been asked that before. And, and the second thing is he started to cry and he started to show human emotion that we don't think of when we see Fauci. And that was because um, he felt like, and he said it afterwards because I was doing an interview, I was kind of tag teaming it with a, my co-host. And she asked him, you know, you seem so emotional, why? And he's like, well, I have to tell you guys, you know, I've had death threats against me and my family. I've been trying to fight this virus. I'm as well, you know, I've been studying this my entire life. And now here I am adding politics into science, something I never thought I'd have to deal with. And at his age of like, I think he's like 81. He, he was just like, I just never thought I'd have to do this. And here I am doing it. And now I can finally talk about it. It was just like this moment of relief where he'd felt silence for so long. And now here he was getting to truly share who he, who he is. And that was I don't know. That was just, it was really meaningful. That's cool. And that's what you're talking about, that human connection, those human stories. And yeah, he's a person. Who would have thought? Yeah, who <laughs> so would have thought? Yeah, that's amazing. That's really powerful because I feel like whatever side you're on, it's like he had all the facts. And I feel like a lot of times he wasn't like 
he was kind of not silenced, but like there was so much against him. It was probably the biggest relief in the world to be able to be like, you know, now I get to take care of all these people across, you know, everywhere. So that's awesome. That's, (laughs) and how about Amy Poehler? I love her. Amy, Amy was great. So, um, (laughs) I look back on the footage and I, I, I'm embarrassed because it was a zoom like this, but it was during the Texas winter storm. And so here in Dallas, we didn't have power or running water and I didn't want to miss this interview, but our new station, which is where I'm at right now, um, it, it had generators and it had water, which was great, but we, they had to stay in a hotel nearby. So we could still come to work. Um, but the hotel didn't have those things. And I was just really, really tired. And as the, um, the storm went on, the energy would come back on and off and the fire alarms would go off in the middle of the night. So I wasn't sleeping. I was blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I remember being so excited for this interview and I've been prepping for it. And it was late in the day. It was like 6 p.m. I wake up at 3 a.m. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this interview. And I get basically four minutes to talk to her and two other people. And that's it. And so as you can imagine, I'm just like, ah, but um, just, I got to talk to her about her foundation, which is Amy Poehler Smart Girls and how that kind of relates to her movie Moxie that just came out. And then I got to sneak in one more question because I was like, I did not survive this to only ask one question. I'm asking another one. So I asked her, you know, she's a, a source of laughter for so many. So like who makes her laugh? And I think she really liked that because she, she just kind of, again, showed that human element of like, I'm so great. You know, I have friends that are funny and I've been working with them for so long, but when we all start to feel the sadness or depression, she talked about, you know, I just get to connect to my friends. And I, I just thought she was great. That was another exciting moment for sure. Yeah, definitely. She's, she's great. I think a lot of us look up to her just because she's, and her friend Tina Fey just like put themselves out there in a totally different way. So we can all be inspired by that. But what you just mentioned, like anxiety and depression, like have you ever dealt with that kind of stuff? And like, how do you maneuver your mental health? That's what we like to talk to our girls about. And I think when people and even our peers here, people being honest, like Sonia deals with some anxiety. I mean, I can't get in a car without flipping out. Like, I don't even know what that's about. I just, you know, like people just like develop these things and some are from childhood trauma and some are just like, okay, so there's a new thing showing up for me today. Do you have anything like that you're dealing with and how you're healing that? Yeah, I I think um, I deal with kind of a constant flow of a bit of depression. And I think it's because I can have a very nihilistic point of view sometimes. Like, why does any of this matter? But this kind of all circles back to, I think, one of your first questions, Sonia, which is like being funny. And I think that um, I never want other people to feel the way that I have felt or can feel sometimes. And so the best way that I can deal with that is to ensure at every interaction that I have that I try to bring um, the most amount of kindness that I can, no matter what's happening on the other side, no matter if someone's being rude to me, no matter, uh, you know, if someone is sad or happy or whatever, just show them kindness because you really don't know what other people are dealing with. And that actually helps me feel better is knowing that I can have a positive impact on someone else. I can make someone laugh. I can, I can connect with them that way. And then hopefully that just, you know, I don't know, makes their life a little bit better. It, it reminds me of this uh, documentary I watched just real briefly. I'll tell you about it. And it was about individuals who committed suicide by jumping off the uh, Brooklyn or not the Brooklyn bridge, the, um, 
the Golden Gate Bridge. And one of the guys I interviewed who survived talked about how he would not have jumped if he had just had someone show him kind eyes as they were driving by. That's all he wanted. He wanted just kind eyes, just someone to make eye contact with him and show him kind eyes and he wouldn't do it. And no one did. And he jumped. Now, this individual happened to survive, which is incredible because most people don't. But I just, I don't know, that really resonated with me to just always try and show people kind eyes if I can, or to say hello. You know, if someone on the street that you don't know, just say hi to them, even even if you don't know. And I think that human connection is even more important now that we've been ripped of it for the past year. Yeah, I mean, I say hi and no one says hi back, but that doesn't, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine, Tabitha. Yeah, it our... reminds me of in high school, like I, I was nice, I think. <laughs> to everybody oh. <laughs> I think but like even in like my Spanish class like there are these guys you know they're like super dorky I was super introverted but I always like was willing I was always like their partner I always doing things and like now it's like they're on my Facebook like messaging me and stuff like that mm-hmm. and I just know that like I was like who like thank God I have a big heart and that I'm a kind person because you never know that if like some rude comment in high school or some you know, like thoughtless comment that someone could say to someone could have this whole effect on their entire life. Oh yeah. But uh, we, we, we were like pretty shocked when we had a writing exercise in Girl Powerful and we had about 50 girls and half of the seats were abused foster youth. And then half of the seated girls were from all over the country, but we did a I am poem and it was beautiful because it goes through like all of the emotions and we were just like right in the chat how you're feeling and everyone was like I miss hugs I'm feeling lonely I'm feeling depressed and I think a lot of times like the news doesn't they are picking up some articles about pandemic related stress with children and preteens but they really aren't like giving tools or giving you know advice on like how to help them because these girls these children are locked in their rooms they're like the age of what bedroom isolation and they're hurting and it's really really sad because the biggest thing we try to do is get them moving their bodies, you know, for their mental health, finding a way to connect, even if it's, you know, virtual and journaling, because we're like, you have to let this energy and this movement move through you because you can't just stay in your room. You have to do something about it. It's so funny that you bring that up because this week here at NBCLX, we've done a full week of coverage of mental health and that is our full focus. Um, And we put a bunch of resources on our website too, just so people want to take a look. And this really is just like tips and tricks on how to be dealing with what we're dealing with right now. Because I think it said, you know, our research said eight and 10 Americans are feeling anxiety, depression, or, or severe stress. And so um, I've learned a lot of tips going back to even the journaling. Um, Journaling doesn't have to be like back in school when you wrote in a journal, like journaling can literally be just taking a pen and putting anything you want on paper. And that can just, I don't know, relieve so, so, so much uh, anxiety and stress. So if anyone wants to check that out, all those resources are on lx.com as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what we like to do is journal with the kids and we are also really honest with them that it doesn't have to be like a positive thing you know I think a lot of people are scared to write something negative down fear that they might like lose their journal and someone will read it or something like that so I think it's important like to share with people that yeah for every positive thing like write something negative that you just want to get out and release because maybe you don't have a friend to share it with or you don't have a spouse or a partner 
a lot of people, you know, it's, it's been like really eye opening knowing that some people have no one. So when we're always like, reach out, call a friend, it's like, sometimes you don't have that friend. Yeah. So you have to like nurture yourself and be that best friend to yourself. And all these mental health tools get you to that place. And it's, in, I think it's also really important to know that it gets better. Like, mm-hmm. I think when any of us look back on our, our time in middle school, high school, even, you know, into college and early adult life, and even now, things were a much bigger deal back when we were younger. And anytime I hear stories about young individuals who just felt like they had no escape, I just wish that I could have had a moment with them to be like, I promise you these things that seem so big are not big. And there is so much beautiful life on the other side of this and great memories will be made in the future. Just, just know that it gets better. And I love that campaign that happened with like the LGBTQ plus community when we were younger, that applies to everyone. Just everyone should know, no matter what's happening, bullying, stress, sadness, happiness it all is going to continue to get better it does it does and it, it does take your like presence and I think that that's why mental health tools and meditation and movement and healthy food like they all play a part in that because it is hard to get over that hump when you are feeling that low and like that guy said like I just want someone to look at me so I think it is we're all in this together so it's like if we want to save ourselves we have to save each other Because in that moment, you might be looking for someone's eyes in there and no one's going to give it to you because you weren't giving that energy out either. I think there's one other thing I wanted to mention that I didn't. And and, and we talked about like kindness and and showing people kindness and grace, which is important. But I think since this is also geared towards young women, the power of no is important too. Um, And that is something that you learn in time. And you can be nice to people and you can show kindness, but you also have to listen to yourself and you have to know when there is a line being crossed where you don't need to be kind anymore. You can be honest with yourself and be honest with the person that you might be interacting with and say, I don't want to do this. I don't need to to continue an interaction with you or be kind. And so I know that's kind of a tough topic to cover as well, but it's an important one. It's so true because we all have this instinct in us, our intuition, and we are so in tune with it as women. And so I think that's a really big deal. And I think now, like, also, like, another layer to it is, like, being able to express yourself and be like, no, and then having the other side who's receiving it be like, oh, okay, you know what I mean? And, like, being able to receive that no and not, like, be, like, a huge combative thing or, like, a really dangerous thing. But yeah, boundaries are everything. And I think I see in our girls that they're totally, they're a new generation. They stand up for themselves and it's amazing. Like, we're just like, you are so empowered and amazing. And they really stand in who they are, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, they're, I think they're getting to see lots of kinds of people. And I think that's a huge gift to Gen Z and Gen Alpha right after, like, this is a totally different world. And yeah, there's a lot of negativity, but there's so many people putting out there like the good stuff and trying to access you know education and and just helping you know like I think brands like need to always have a cause tied to them like you have to you have to include people right now it's not the time to just be selfish I 100% agree with that and and I love seeing the shift in in the Gen Z and the Gen Alpha I I actually really like TikTok too because I feel like I get a little microscope into their world of like oh how are you guys dealing with all these issues yeah I this makes me think of I'm in meditation teacher training 
And we do these practice sessions like twice a week and you get paired with someone and my program's pretty large. So it'll be like a guy in Sweden or like this woman was in Connecticut and she's like 60. And we were talking about your gut instinct and just instinctive meditation and the, the power of saying no. And like, when was a time where you went against your gut instinct? And this was like a six-year-old woman and she was like, telling me the story and she's like it just happened and she is like I need to listen to myself more like some someone was like I want to invite this guy over to your house and you know do all this whatever <laughs> not whatever <laughs> he was like a guru and she wanted him to like meditate with her and she had this weird feeling because they were so pushy and like we want to come over we want to come over and it was she was just like it didn't feel right and I let them come over and then something was missing from her house. And she was like, I can't believe I didn't just say no. I didn't want to hurt her feelings by saying, no, I don't want your friend in my house. But it's yeah. like, we need to, yeah, we need to teach girls. And I think, I think the, the conversation's out there and it's starting to happen more and more with, yeah, you do have the power to say no. Yeah. And even like people that weren't in girl powerful it's like you have to relearn right now it's like an opportunity with all this information floating around so teach yourself you have to be your re-mom yourself you know what I mean like we all have to take that power back and not give it to other people and then you have to do your research and make sure you're getting credible information from the right people how do you fact check like what does that look like for you like when your team like how do you get real information uh, it's incredible. I mean, luckily I work with NBC, which has a huge network of reporters and journalists all over the United States and all over the world. And so fact checking kind of starts with, starts with things like this, starts with interviews, it starts with compiling data, then we can cross reference it against other people who might be working on something similar or data that we're seeing come in from another place or another person. And eventually it builds. And that's another really interesting whole other podcast topic is, you know, how, how is news gathered? How does journalism work? I don't think people realize how much good into what you see because it looks like you just see people presenting with ease on tv and that's it and far from it <laughs> to imagine all the little pieces that have to come into play in order for us to tell a story or to report something back to to people and to make sure it's as accurate as possible it's wild yeah i love that if i hope everything is accurate because then we all digest it and then we put our opinions and our emotions on it and then it gets then we retell it and it's a little different and i think that's where people get confused yeah (laughs) it's a big issue and right now also because there is there is so little known about how journalism true journalism is sourced you have uh imposters you have what we would call the real fake news that kind of intercepts into the same spheres. And it's interesting. Typically that kind of news is more catchy and headliney and interesting. So it's shared more on social media. So this goes back to social media and how it can be a good thing, but it can also be a really bad thing. Um, But they're also seeing that a lot of that kind of media doesn't have something like a paywall on it. So if something doesn't have a paywall on it, it's likely going to be read and shared much more than something you might see from the Washington Post or the New York Times. Um, Luckily, TV stations, typically our our stuff and our articles don't have paywalls, but some of the really interesting in-depth pieces that people would just want to know more about, they do. And therefore the other, you know, there's not even another side, but false information can then just be spread more quickly because 
it's the easiest thing to access. That's true. I didn't even think about that. But sometimes some people like mentors will share information with me and I don't have, you know, like, like you said, the New York times, I don't subscribe to that. So I can't read the article. And I'm like, well, I guess I just missed out. (laughs) Or maybe I didn't. I also said, could you buy me a subscription? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it's so cheap though. I'm like, oh, you know, you pay $10. Spotify. You can pay like ten dollars a year for the New York Times. Yeah, okay. I'll sign up. I'll sign up. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Well, so we always end with this question. I think it's always so enlightening to hear just like how different all women are. And the question is, when do you feel most alive? Huh. That is a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. I would say that I feel most alive when I have accomplished something. And while that feels like a really broad answer, more specifically, you know, working in the field I'm in, I often have a lot of projects or stories or, um, you know, reports that I'm putting together and I put a lot of thought, effort, and energy into it. I usually, if I can, I like to edit my own stuff. I like to do my own interviews. I like to be really hands-on, but there's a moment when I've accomplished piece and it's ready to air it's ready to be viewed by people and it's done and I just kind of sit back and I that's like when I feel I feel it the most and I'm like man I'm actually doing something that might have a positive impact on the world and I'd say that's when I feel the most alive oh that's awesome that's so unique no one said anything like that before but that makes sense to me I love that well go I'm so glad you're living your life with passion you know, you're sharing stories and you're creating it, but it's true. It's like, even I watched your, on your Instagram when you were with the French chef and he was like making the emoji dessert or something like it was like, it was like fun and it was refreshing. And it was like a piece of like a time and a piece of time that wasn't so serious. And it was like fun to watch you laugh and smile and be so bright eyed, you know, with him. So it's, it's, you know, like, even though like maybe the small story is could change you know someone's day and make them feel a different way which is everything over here because we're all about emotions yeah thank you for what you do and thank you for spending time with us where can our listeners find you on social media and watch your show yeah absolutely um they can follow me across pretty much every platform at Tabitha Lipkin. It's only slightly different on Facebook. It's at Tabitha Lipkin official. And um, if they want to watch the show, we're actually on TV all across the, the nation. Uh, you check your local provider or the easiest way is if you have like you have Apple and we're on Hulu and Peacock and then just LX.com. You can watch us in all those places. Well, hopefully we can be on there soon. <laughs> No, I think that this would be a really, really great topic of conversation is empowering young women. So if we could flip this in reverse, I'm in. Flip it. We're, and we're reverse here. it. Let's, Let's do flip it. it in reverse. And it. then we'll call Missy Elliott and she can throw down a wrap. <laughs> oh, she's going to be down, but she might make us uh, have some milkshakes because that's just her thing, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's go drink some milkshakes, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Thanks to our guest. For more information on her, see the show notes. Please hit subscribe if you have not already. That way, a new episode is delivered directly to your feed every week.